Hello and welcome to The Goal Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Koskiela, and with me, as always, is my co-host and the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you today, Helena? Very good, thanks. It's exciting times at the minute as we're in the final stages of putting together Gold. It includes a brilliant interview with Klaus Zieler, President of Established Markets at Astellas, and next week's podcast includes an exclusive sneak peek of that chat, so do look out for that. Sounds brilliant. Really looking forward to it. But returning to this week, what have we got coming up? So we have another great interview that I was actually able to record in person with Eric Buiu, the Chief Development Officer at Isteso. And we discuss his impressive history within pharma. Um, he's worked a lot in medical affairs throughout his career. Um, and we also discuss some of the specifics in his current and quite new role um, at this cutting edge drug discovery and development company. Yes, I'm really looking forward to hearing it. And it's great that we're finally able to be back in person with some of our European-based guests. But before that, we'll kick things off with things you might have missed. So, Helena, what's been happening in the news this past week? So I bet no one is likely to have missed this bit of news, but the FDA has cleared the first new measles, mumps and rubella vaccine in 50 years, um, which is brilliant news. GSK's Priorix will now be available in the US as a combination MMR vaccine, offering Merck & Co's established MMR2 vaccine a bit of competition after it's held the market since its approval in the 1970s. Yes, that's right. This approval comes at a time of a rise in vaccine hesitancy and subsequently measles cases. So it's absolutely great news that the US market will see a wider range of options and availability of vaccinations. The WHO states that more than 207,000 lives were lost globally in 2019 as a result of measles due to low vaccination rates. So hopefully this new availability will encourage more people in the region to go out and get vaccinated. Indeed. And Judy Stewart, head of US vaccines at GSK and friend of the Gold podcast, commented that the company is so proud to make Priorix available in the US for the first time, adding a choice for providers to help protect patients against these highly contagious diseases and to further strengthen offerings in their paediatric vaccine portfolio. You can find her podcast interview as well as a written interview with her linked in the show notes. In other news, Samsung Biologics has shaken hands with Novartis in an $81 million manufacturing deal, the first time these two companies have worked together. Samsung Biologics has plans to expand its CDMO aspirations, so this manufacturing partnership fits well with its goals. The company's yet to disclose which of Novartis medicines it's going to be working on, but additional details will be shared in the not-too-distant future. Earlier this year, Samsung Biologics announced a three-pronged approach to growth in the pharmaceutical space through diversifying its portfolio, boosting capacity and extending its footprint beyond South Korea. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how this company grows in the pharma space in the coming months and years. Now, Helena was recently able to conduct our first in-person podcast interview since before the pandemic began a couple of weeks ago. That's right. I was delighted to welcome Eric Buiu, Chief Development Officer at Esteso to Gold HQ. It was an absolute pleasure catching up with him on his motivations for joining the pharma industry, lots of other pharma topics, but also his new venture focusing on immunometabolism in drug development. Esteso is seeking to discover innovative new treatments for conditions such as multiple sclerosis, so some really exciting potential here. And the interview really demonstrates Eric's unrivaled passion for this emerging field of pharma. Sounds great. So let's have a listen. 
Hi Eric, welcome to the Gold Podcast Studio. It's lovely to have you with us. It's our first in-person guest recording since the start of the pandemic. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Elena. Thank you very much for the invitation and very pleased to be the first one since the pandemic. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to our chat. So you're currently Chief Development Officer of Esteso, and you've held a series of impressive senior positions within the medical affairs function at Accord Healthcare and Ipsen over the past 10 years or so. Um, you've previously said that it was luck that brought you into um, medical affairs in the first place. So can you tell us the story behind that? Did I say luck very much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine I've said that. Uh, I think luck doesn't come in play at all. I think it's linked to your hard work and also your your focus into what matters. Mm -hmm. um, what I what I did, I think, over the years is always to be at best into what I can do, and also mm -hmm. very much like keen to learn all the way through. So the luck is not really much like a a, a criteria here. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe just coming back into these positions, I think I've been able all the way through to demonstrate a certain range of skill set, mm -hmm. uh, also the passion I have. So I think I'm very fortunate, like many of uh, other colleagues working into the health care system and also into the uh, life science industry, uh, that we are there to help and support to the best of our ability the patients that are in need, whether you contribute for one aspect of the development of a compound at the discovery stage or even um, help the information to the physicians about uh, the characteristics as well of your compound mm -hmm. uh, in an unbiased way. And I think it's very important that, you know, in that industry, and that's how I feel every morning when I get up, I feel blessed because I know I can contribute a little bit mm -hmm. to that mission to support, again, the patient. I'm not sure that we can say we can cure. There are little cues, but at least we can take away a lot of the burden that uh, mm -hmm. patients are, are suffering from their conditions. And you think about it around us, and I think I mentioned that in the previous podcast I've been to, is uh, the fact that we all are surrounded by people that we know we love that are have had certain conditions or mm -hmm. are suffering currently, yeah. and so I think it's something that is very touching and noble that we can we can yeah. we can work in the industry. So coming back to that, if I think about the end goal for me is to be a contributor in helping advancing science and and medicine development, I think this is. Uh, uh, a, a criteria that I I keep at heart mm. and enables me to do the best of what I do. And so coming back to your initial question, there is no luck because doing the best of what you can do opens a, a number of doors. As long as you have the patience, some humility as well in what you do, and uh, be a, a keen learner as well. If you are curious, if you have a curious mind, I think that is a, a key driver for you to evolve into uh, into the industry. Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, I think it's just such a rewarding industry to be in as well, isn't it? As you mentioned, and helping patients is just, yeah, being able to make a, a difference in their lives. Um, nothing beats that. So most recently, as I mentioned, you joined your current company, Esteso, in March this year. And it's a company focusing on a relatively new and emerging field of medical science, immunometabolism. So can you give us a brief overview of what that is and what conditions Esteso is hoping to treat with the mechanisms involved in this innovative field? Okay, so maybe just a full word about Esteso, just to say it's a drug discovery and clinical stage. Uh, development biotech uh, that is 
particularly focusing at the moment on in the field of immunometabolism. And as you said, it's an emerging field in medical science. So what is meant by immunometabolism? Um, just to say that in immune cells, like for any cells, uh, metabolism regulates the, the, both the cellular function and its fate as well. When the metabolism gets out of balance, this can cause a wide variety of autoimmune conditions and diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis, as well as certain types of cancers. So research has revealed that the problem lies pretty much with a pathway through which they produce energy. So Esteso, as a result, has developed a pipeline of novel and innovative compounds that is basically specifically reprogramming the cell metabolism. So we have quite a unique approach specifically and selectively reprograms immune cells that are activated in autoimmune diseases, and that is altering their metabolism to restore the natural control. So by doing this, we can break the cycle of inflammation and restore that balance. So the assets that we have cause the immune cells to select an alternative metabolic pathway and stop producing cytokines and that promote basically the inflammation. As a result, the cells return to normal functions. This is something that actually is not really possible with the immunosuppressant drugs that we have currently on the market. So ultimately, the products that we have work without suppressing the immune controls, meaning that we can treat a disease like rheumatoid arthritis while maintaining a normal immune function. That's fascinating. Thank you for that really in-depth explanation there. Um, multiple sclerosis was one of the things that you mentioned that piqued my interest in terms of product development. I've got um, uh, kind of close friends who have been impacted by by that condition. So it's something that's um, yeah really close to my heart. Is there um, potential with what you're doing to find a, a cure for it? Or is it more like different ways to, to treat and manage the condition? I would not say a cure because I think it's a, it's a massive step <laughs> yeah. and you can't really, you could hope for a cure. I don't think it's a, it's a real thing. Uh, what you could do is um, remitting lapsing uh, yep. multiple sclerosis is actually to clearly stop the progression. Mm -hmm. You could hope as well that you can have an improvement as well into the function uh, and from the disability. And I think that's the biggest thing that we could target for now. Mm -hmm. You have a number of assets and products that are on the market. Uh, they help the patients. Yep. Um, we like to think with our mechanism of action, we'll have a good shot at it in the sense <laughs> yeah. that we have uh, a real potential to e even further improve what mm -hmm. we can see in the clinic at the present time with yeah the existing products. So uh, uh, watch this space and follow Isteso. Indeed. Yes, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, so moving on slightly, you've got um, recent first-hand experience of moving from a large organization into the biotech sector, um, as you mentioned, and you've joined a much smaller company. Um, what was it that kind of appealed about making this type of career change and, and how have you found that transition? The transition, I think, was pretty much easy in the sense that uh, I was back to my first love when I joined the industry in the UK 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I moved from uh, France, arrived at the UK at the time where in the late 90s, uh, the biotech sector was booming in, in the UK. Um, you had a number of like very famous names, about 400 companies, and you had uh, the European Medicine Agency that got you know established in Canary Wharf. So very much like an attraction for me as well to come and 
and, and work in, in the UK. I had two options is either going for a large corporate organization, which I won't name, and <laughs> another one, uh, which was basically a virtual company was about, I think, about nine employees, nine or 10 employees, mm-hmm. a bit the same setting as we are now. And um, it was actually at pretty much at the beginning of my career, but I felt I was empowered in doing many things. Actually, there's no place to hide when you're in the biotech sector, so yeah. very much like exposed. And uh, for various reasons, you know, I went from uh, one very small company to a large organization, even to very large organizations, Mm. to realize that there is a a certain comfort working into the corporate environment. Um, There are pros and cons for each of the industries. Um, But I felt I came to a point in my career where I had sufficient, you know, knowledge and skill set that I acquired into drug development, whether it's actually at the early stage or the late stage with the medical affairs function I, I held. Uh, and I wanted really much to get a new challenge and getting onto on board with a company that had a very novel products, innovative, and also uh, with a, a, a great challenge in targeting uh, very debilitating conditions and diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got an opportunity to to join Isteso in, in the capacity of a CDO, and I, I don't regret it. It's been very recent, and <laughs> I, I really love it. That's great to hear. Um, So you've previously said um, that you're not afraid of change and taking up new opportunities. I think that that is a prime example there. Um, And that means that you've kind of never felt stuck in in a particular function. Um, What advice would you offer to those seeking to explore other avenues in their career, but who aren't really sure where to begin with that? Okay, it's a pretty good question. Um, I think it comes with having a look at yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and think about what do I want? What is the type of personality I have? And there is, again, no right or wrong. But yeah. you may have individuals that have uh, a larger appetite for, I'm not saying to be uh, too risky, but like to have a certain element of exposure and try something else mm-hmm. and have the curiosity and the willingness to learn. And other people that are more focused into their, I would say, somehow comfort zone, but become very much experts into what they do. So coming back to your question, if you are really uh, keen to find other avenues, I think you need to be very much open minded, Mm -hmm. keen to learn, uh, learn by yourself, but learn by, you know, exploring, you know, what's around you, speaking to colleagues or people in other functions. and whenever possible, is try to identify a mentor. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, and a mentor. You can have somebody that could be, like in my case, uh, I, I like to think I had great leaders as as line managers, and and a couple of them were my mentors. Uh, but you may not have that within your within your function or within your 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 reporting line. Find a friend. Mm-hmm. Find someone that can coach you i'm not talking necessarily about like a professional coach nothing wrong with <laughs> finding a yeah. professional coach but uh, uh it's very much about having that um sounding board yeah. and people so that can critique you so you need to be able as well to as i said look at yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. but also be able to understand what are your strengths and what are maybe sometimes your weaknesses and again if you have weaknesses and you want to go for in certain direction a certain function 
you may not have all the knowledge, but if you acknowledge that you can learn, that you have, you know, a, a gap that you need to fill, um, you, you can do it. I think yeah. it's a, it's a, and, and you need to have, again, that agility, but also that patience. Mm. Yeah, of course. And um, I've been into cases where people were very upset with something happening into work, and they want to change suddenly when they were not ready for that. And uh, the best advice is that just don't take uh, a, a bad day as a point of reference for you to jump ship, you know, yeah. have a, a lot of consideration, a lot of thinking behind it. You may be well ready to go to that other direction, but maybe now is not the time. So take the time. Yeah, it's very good advice there. And I really liked the way you phrased find a friend. It's a very good, very good takeaway there. Um, so um, you previously were on the Gold Podcast back in November 2019, um, and you commented then that one of the most prominent challenges facing pharma was the need to bring a sense of unity and uniformity to medical affairs and drug development. A lot of that was centred on the opioid scandal in the US, in which it transpired that some pharma companies were aware of addiction risks of medications, but didn't necessarily disclose that information to HCPs. Um, and I think this is something that that we've all come to um, come to uh, know about over the last few years. Um, you spoke of training, accreditation, and regulation as part of the solution, as uh, um, as well as other things. Um, but I guess my question to you now, um, a few years on from that, is: Do you think progress has been made in this area at all? I like to think progress has been made, and I think it's been made by via different channels. Mm -hmm. um, they are, first of all, there's a bigger awareness, as you say, about um, in that context of the opioid scandals about uh, what happened. And again, the attention and the role the industry played and also the consequences for the industry. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. been made very public. And uh, uh, I'm sure the, the, the people listening to the podcast may refer to a couple of programs on TV channels as well that are relating to this. Um, but a lot of things happening in the press as well, uh, a lot of litigations, um, a lot of settlements. Uh, one that was in the press a couple of days ago as well for a couple of companies uh, settling with the state of West uh, Virginia. So there's a lot of noise in the press. I think there's another element that I think we should all be recognizing is that we all suffered two years of COVID-19. And I think this is um, has been a way for people to be more connected, if I may say, because mm -hmm. they had nowhere to go or they had more limitations. And I think the access to a number of social media, a lot of press as well online, enabled people in the time that people had as well to go and explore and read more. So I think that's one element. Um, medical affairs as a function is becoming more and more um, recognized in the industry. Mm -hmm. There are a number of bodies as well that are supporting the development and the awareness and the training around uh, medical affairs. Uh, you have organizations like MAPS, you have uh, the ACMA as well in the US that are very much promoting uh, the accreditation of uh, medical affairs and, and also uh, having trainings available. And, uh, and a good ex example as well is I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2021, uh, the ACMA had an opportunity to go to the US Congress and raise awareness about the need to bring uh, training and um, accreditation to, to the core of what we do in, into the industry, again, to bring everybody on the same page. Yeah. 
Um, there are so many different, I would say, functions, so much data about drugs that you need to have a certain way to assemble this, mm. have a way to distill the information in an unbiased way uh, into the industry, a core function like medical uh, functions in health science, but uh, uh, you have the MSL, so the medical science liaison, and they are the key face of the industry mm. going and speak to uh, uh, HCPs, you know, and, uh, and practitioners. And so their mission is very much to take on board the science, having an ability to speak peer to peer again in an unbiased way mm -hmm. so that the physicians have a, a, a good way or a better way to integrate the facts and the data. And again, mm -hmm. because despite all the, the literature they can go through as they have their practice, they have also sometimes need of that support. And I think from a medical information and medical education perspective, mm -hmm. uh, that function can, can help. So again, to come and be ready for being a um, good MSL in all, in, all the, in all the sense of the term, uh, one element is making sure that you have the right training awareness on how to you know, review the data, synthesize the information, being able to, again, uh, provide that information back to the, uh, to the, to the physicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think there's definite progress, isn't there? And I guess only time will tell as to how it, how it develops again in the future. Um, so to finish on a more personal note, um, what would you say you're most proud of in your career so far? It could be quite a tricky question. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of highlights, but is there anything that really sticks out for you? Uh, shall I say that I'm very proud of having killed many projects. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very proud of like achieving, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity uh, in my recent career to bring uh, uh, assets into the market by achieving uh, uh, BLAs so or registrations of biologics in the mm -hmm. US, so three in a row. Um, so that was a, a big achievement. But I think the, the biggest element of learning for me was, and I had quite a, a number of assets in, you know, with a team looking into their potential into discovery and leading to preclinical before to going to, to the clinical phase that uh, were appearing good candidates, but actually were demonstrated to be, you know, having adverse profiles, being toxic or not having the right level of effect in terms of efficacy for the subjects. Mm -hmm. And so the ability of screening and having hard decisions being made so and taking the stand and say, we should not proceed with that product. Yeah. gives actually means for the company from a, an investment perspective yeah. to orientate their funds into other assets. Okay. Uh, but certainly it's also uh, not to waste any uh, individual's time and not putting at risk by not having the safest products, you know, tested into, into human beings. And I think, you know, having the ability uh, again to kill those projects, I think has been, has been a good thing for, you know, advancing somehow the science as well, as opposed to yeah. being stuck into a potential candidate and really wanted to bring it to the end, knowing that you may not have the, the best assets in your hands. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never had um, a, an answer to that question that's kind of 
it would seem like a negative thing, but you've got such a positive spin on that. So that's brilliant. And yeah, if you can kill those projects and then focus on on the more positive and uh, kind of ones that have the more potential, then then that can only be a good thing. So that's great. Um, to conclude, um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been brilliant to chat to you and hear about your career moves and your thoughts on the opioid crisis and, and so much more there. Um, and yeah, we'll look forward to, to seeing... Um, um, Estesso's a success over the, the coming months and years. So thank you. Thank you very much, Elena, for inviting me and having me here at uh, EMG for the, uh, the Gold Podcast. Thanks a lot. You're more than welcome. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a brilliant conversation. I especially enjoyed hearing Eric's advice on not feeling too stuck in your job function and how far the industry has come since the opioid scandal in the USA. Indeed. And it was just a joy to talk to Eric. I'm looking forward to seeing what Estesso is setting out to achieve in the future. Sadly, though, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and to Eric for joining us. Indeed. So do be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from if you haven't done so already. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another great episode as well as our latest issue of Gold. See you soon. Thank you.